You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Lord, you see us in this room right now. And not only do you just see us, you see into us and you know every single heart that's here right now. You know the kind of weeks that we have had. You know that some are standing here and it's all they can do to stand. It's all they could do to get here today. It's been that kind of week at work. It's been that kind of week at home. There's some here today with heavy and broken hearts for others. It's all they could do to get here. Some here today struggling in their own sin and wrestling with their flesh and, 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 and finding themselves doing the things they didn't want to do again. God, you want us here right now. We need to be here right now. The answer for our lives, Lord, is not an easier life. It's not more money. It's not more stuff in the world. It's not perfect relationships. It's not even, God, fully and completely conquering all of my sin. God, the answer for my life right now is to find in you the fullness of God. Lord, we would call out to you now, Lord Jesus, please, would your spirit begin and continue to fill this place that we would say as we join here today that we have met with the living God. We have been satisfied with Him. In Your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. Lord, lead us to that. I pray for the heavy and the broken hearts, for the wearied, Lord, to come and to find rest in You today. God, be our joy, be our delight, be our safety, be our security, be to us everything we need, God. In You is found everything. God, we come to you now and we ask these things, Lord. Please, Lord Jesus, please. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be, well, you're doing it already. Please be seated. Um, and if you've got a Bible, why don't you join with me in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Uh, my name is Craig Turnbull and I get to uh, be a part of the pastoral staff at Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, which way, 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 way long ago was the church that, that, that was blessed to be a part of, of planting Harvest Bible Chapel and, and Niagara and your elders and your senior pastor. So it's a great joy for me to be returning here. And I'll just say this as well. If, if you're in a need for a Bible, please make sure you raise your hand. Uh, there's some faithful folk who'd love to give you a Bible. Again, we're in 1 John uh, chapter 4 today. And before I get there, uh, I just want to say, just as I love to do, um, love to say at this point when I come and visit you, how very special your senior pastor is to me. Uh, he is a friend in my life and a friend in the good ways. Like a friend who will tell you what you don't want to hear sometimes and a friend who will put his hand on your shoulder and encourage you with the right word at the right time. And I don't have to tell you that your senior pastor is a special man and his, his family is a special family. Uh, but maybe it's a good occasion for me to just remind you again that as God has uniquely gifted Daryl and uniquely equipped him uh, to preach the word and to be in this season and to be in this place. Maybe it's a good time for me to remind you that that, 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 that means there's opposition for him. 
And so I encourage you to continue to pray for him and, and pray that God would continue to fill him with his spirit and continue to bless him and, and, and encourage him in that. So uh, Daryl and his wife Ruth are, of course, away this weekend, and that's why you have me, and they're enjoying a time away of rest. And uh, I get to be the messenger uh, this weekend to you guys. So blessed to do that. First uh, John chapter 4, and I'll just say this as well. Happy Mother's Day to you moms out there and you moms-to-be and all of you who have been birthed by a mom. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. I'm extremely thankful for this church. Uh, The word for us today from God's word is loving one another. And I think it's a fitting message today of all days for uh, for Mother's Day. And and this is incredibly important. In fact, the main point of today's message is the title of your sermons. If you walk away with one thing, it's this, love one another. And this is hugely, hugely important. Because uh, I think this is a major foundational piece in the New Testament. Uh, before, four, before First John 4 was written, in fact, way back, we have these words in, in, of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. It'll be on the screen for you. In response to the question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, teacher, uh, 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 Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this depend all the law and the prophets. It's the second greatest commandment to love one another. And if it's the second greatest commandment, and it means this much to the Lord, well, maybe it's important. Maybe it's really important. Maybe a lot's at stake here. Can I suggest to you this morning that, that a ton is at stake? Can I suggest to you this morning that, that what's at stake is, is, is rightly glorifying God with your life? What's at stake is obeying him and his commandments. What's at stake is sensing the weight and the blessing of his pleasure. What's at stake is advancing the kingdom. What's at stake is healing my family, of restoring my marriage, of caring for my kids, of living rightly in the workplace. There's a lot at stake in loving one another. So question, uh, it's, the question is not, do you get that it's important? The question for you this morning is, are you willing to listen? Am I willing to listen to what God's word would have to say to us? First John chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So today's passage in front of us is this, this command given to us. God means it for our good. And I pray that we would choose to believe this today. Again, the main point of today, the reason why I'm here today is, is to share from God's word that God's word is telling us we need to love one another. And how great is it that in the text in front of us, John tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit exactly how we are to love one another. And so I've got three points on my outline for you today. Uh, I'll give you the first one right now. When it comes to loving one another, here's the first thing you need to know. You need to get the right source. 
You need to get the right source. Now, now this phrase, love, comes up 48 times in this entire letter, 12 times in, in these specific verses, and 6 in verses 7 and 8 right now. Look at this, look at this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's about love, right? That's one of those moments when you're reading the text and you're, you're underlining what's the key word and you're like, oh, oh, there it is a hundred times. Duh, love. It's the main point, love. In fact, he begins this with this phrase, beloved, let us love one another. Now we have that in, in English and it's, 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 what is it? Six words. But in, in, in the original, it's only two. The, it's only two. And, and, and let me put it in English for you. It's this, beloved, love. Beloved, love. You're loved, so now love. It's emphatic. It's placed at the front. It's aggressive. It's, there's no confusion meant to be allowed in this. And then he says this, for love comes from God. Beloved, love. Because love comes from God. Without God, there is no such thing as love. We wouldn't have a frame for thinking about what that is. We wouldn't understand it. God defines love. It, it comes from him. But, but in this uh, fallen world, in this fallen and broken world, we don't understand this. We, we, we miss the story. And when we see love, it's through a bro- broken glass. Uh, I, I uh, have a, one of my favorite writers is, is Ray Bradbury. And he wrote a lot of science fiction. And he wrote this one really short story. It's called All of Summer in a Day. And it's a science fiction story uh, set way in the future of some school children who are on the planet Venus. And uh, they're nine years old. And they've only lived on Venus all of their life. And, and the, 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 the cycle of, 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 of the, the sun on Venus is that it rains all the time. All the time for seven years except for one fragment when the, the clouds part and the sun comes out. And there's the sun. Well, these school children who are nine years old, they don't remember it, and they don't see it. All it is, except for one school child uh, named Margot, who, who's from Earth, and, and, uh, and Margot comes, and she says, no, this is what the sun is like. This is what the sun is like. But they say to her, no, that's not what the sun The sun isn't like that. The sun isn't like that. It's, they don't know because it's all they know. When the story goes on, it doesn't go well for Margot, but the idea is they don't know. Because it's all they know. We don't know love because sometimes all we know is in front of us. There's a lot of misconceptions about love out there in the world, isn't there? Uh, Often we'll say that love, love, love is found in someone. Love is found in someone. Maybe maybe that spouse. (gasps) Maybe that future ideal spouse that I'm thinking of. Maybe that close friend. That's, That's where love is found in them. In someone love is found. Maybe, maybe for, for you, love not found in someone, it's found in something. Oh, you know what I love? I love that great place in the world that I like to go to, and it's for me. I love that morning cup of coffee. I love that sports team. I love that fancy house. I love that devoted dog. Love is not so much a person, it's a thing. And maybe if it's not a person and it's not a thing, then I 
go to the local bookstore and I pull off a, a book and read the book and realize, oh, no, love's not a person. Love's not a thing. Love is inside of me, and I just need to learn to love me. I just got to figure it out for myself and love me. We, we don't know because it's all we know. We don't know because it's all we know. And John says, no, no, no. Love is from God. And that's why he says in verse 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you know God, listen, if you know God, you will love the family of God. Note this specifically, we are to love the beloved. That's what he's calling. Now, now, God's word is replete with places where we're called to love those who are outside the family of God. But in this particular passage, in this particular context, we are called to love the family of God. This is amazing, isn't it? Because so often the people in the family of God are the hardest ones to love. Come on. I have to love them? Oh, what's this guy sitting next to me? He's got his phone out. And okay, yeah, his Bible's on it. But come on, phone guy in church. Or or, or I came to church again this morning, and, and then they didn't greet me again? Come on. Or I'll point fingers at myself now. How about, oh, come on, Pastor Craig. I've introduced myself to you four times, and you don't remember my name. Isn't it true that so often it's easier to love the baker than it is to love the person who sits next to you in church? It's hard, right? That's why John writes this. Beloved, love one another, for love is from God. John Stott very clearly says this. For the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to have been born of God For the loveless Christian to profess this is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. You know what he's saying there? He's saying like like for you to say this is like you're saying that you're on a one-on-one pick up the phone and call him basis with the prime minister of Japan, but you speak no Japanese. That's what he's saying here. For the loveless Christian to profess to know God and not do it, it doesn't line up. If you say you're a child of God, but you don't even look like him. John puts it this way in verse 8. Look at the text. Anyone who does not love. Now again, the context is believers, not loving believers. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And why is this? Because, he says, God is love. God is love. Now, my dad... uh, Some of you would know him. My dad does not look like me at all. The only thing we have in common is is height and hairline. Uh, But my dad, if you saw him, he's broad-shouldered, and and he's he's got blonde hair now turning white, and he's got crystal blue eyes. I don't look anything like that. But people will say to us and say, well, that's your dad. That doesn't make any sense. But, but, then, but then we'll start talking to one another, and we, we pull out our, our you know, ridiculous sense of humor, and then, and then we'll start joking about this or that or this or that. And then people, that's when people will step back and say, ah, I see, I see the resemblance. I see the resemblance now. You don't look like him but physically, but I see the resemblance. I, I know you're his kid. Is anyone saying that about you and God? Is anyone saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I know you don't have the same eye color as God, but look at how you love. I know who your father is. 
Look at how you love. God is the walking, talking, breathing, universe bringing into existence perfect picture of what love is. He's the embodiment of love. Turn in the dictionary to love. God is there. His actions, his words, his thoughts, his accomplishments, his character. He's the truest expression of what love is. Is anyone saying to you, hey, you look like your father. Look at the way you love. I see the resemblance. Well, when it comes to loving one another, we've got to get the right source. But here's some stumbling blocks in point one right now. Point number one, here's a couple stumbling blocks. You may have come in. You might, you might be the person who came in this morning, and then you saw the word love in the title, and then we're talking about love now, and you are saying, time out. Because love stinks. I don't like it. You, you, don't, you don't know what's been done to me in the name of love. You don't know the people who said they love me and the kinds of things that I had to endure. You don't know the hurts and the pains. You don't know the fractures. You don't know the false promises, the broken... You don't know what's been done to me. So when I read love, I'm not thinking love. Thank you. This is not a message for me. Maybe that's your stumbling box. Maybe you're sitting there today and saying, Ah, big deal. What's the big deal? I don't like love. Blah. Love is for those people who are young. Love is for those people who have found someone. Love is for someone else, not me. Or maybe you're sitting there this morning and maybe it's not so much I don't like love or maybe it's so much I don't care about love. Maybe you're like, what is love anyways? What does it even mean? Well, now all three of those are great questions and great stumbling points and all three of them need answering and they actually come from our second point. So look with me again at the the text of verse 9. Thankfully, God's word has an answer for us in these. Verse 9. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When it comes to loving one another, as John would command us, as the word of God would command us, we need to get the right source. But I want you to see this secondly, okay? See this secondly, that we need to get the right definition. Get the right definition. Now, why is it so important to get the right definition? Because the world has got a ton of wrong definitions for you. You'll go out from these doors. You'll enter into the marketplace. You'll go out and watch the television programs. And the world will communicate over and over and over and over and over again everything that is counter to what the word of God says. The world will tell you, no, this is what love is love is a feeling a deep affection no no love is not so much a feeling or a deep affection love is an emotional or a physical or a spiritual response even to what makes you feel good and sometimes even love is sexual passion and desires and so with these kinds of definitions we say that love fits into categories describing everything everything listen from chocolate cake to a newborn baby we say that word love, don't we? We say things like, I love the Chicago Cubs. I, I love this time of year. And this is my daughter and I love her. Do you see the problem? The word love is desensitized. It's lost its meaning because it's been used over and over and over and over again. Over and over and over and over again. I'm so filled up with love for things that I don't have an ever-loving clue what it means. Now this, I think, is not coincidental. Just a moment of honesty here. I don't think it's coincidental that 
One of the strongest emotions, one of the, one of the most defining emotions of our God towards us, love, has been taken by the world, by the enemy, and twisted and muted to mean all kinds of different things. So that we could say things like, I love my child, I love this television program. Even the ancient Greeks, even the ancient Greeks had, had four different common words that they would use to describe love. We have two of them in our New Testaments. Uh, uh, let me give you an example. We've got a chart for you. Uh, how about the first one? Eros. So, so this is an intimate desire for another. So picture a young woman who has an intimate and right desire for her husband. She would come along and she would use the word, I eros you. Not precisely, but... Uh, she probably wouldn't speak English, but eros you. And you know what we say in English? We say, I love you. I love you. I love him. Uh, how, about, how about this second one? This is a family kind of love. This is storge. For, this, this same young woman now turns to her uncle, her uncle that she loves, she's been raised with, and she looks over across at the family barbecue, and she says, this is my uncle Rick. And you know what? Uh, I storge him. You know what we say in English? I love him. See the problem? Yeah, here's the two that are in the New Testament. Philea. This is a brotherly love. Now this same young woman who loves her husband and who loves her uncle now turns to her kid brother and looks over there and says, there's my kid brother. Man, he is crazy, but I philea him. I love, but you know what we say in English? I love him. I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him. How about the agape one? This, incidentally, is the word that's used in our text, agape. Every time love is found, it's agape. It's a regal, it's a self-sacrificing, it's the awesome love of our God one way to us. And this woman maybe speaks that towards her child. I love him. And in English, it's I love him. I agape him, I love him. See the difference? See the problem here? The most overused and the least understood word in the English language. And since the fall, this word has been twisted by the enemy. It just means so little. So now we take the phrase, God loves me, and use the same word to describe how we feel about chocolate cake. So we need a definition. We need God's definition. God knows this, and he actually gives us one in verses 9 through 10. So what we're going to do in the next little bit, sub-points under point number 2, is we're going to build a definition together, okay? And I'll give you, if you, if you want to wait till the very end, I'll give you the final definition at the very end. But let's walk through verses 9 and 10 and build this definition, understanding what love looks like. Because, frankly, if I'm going to love the believers, love the body of Christ, I've got to know what love means. So let's do that right now. Uh, Look with me at verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how God defines love. Verse 9, God sent his only son into the world. Let's pause there and let's take the text and build the definition, God's definition of what love looks like. Notice this firstly, that love is a personal, a personal, willful sacrifice of self. A personal, willful sacrifice of self. God the Father sends his son. The emphasis in the text is on the singularity of the Son. His only Son. That's the same word used from John 3.16. His only Son. The firstborn, some translations have it, but it doesn't mean that he was born or came into existence. That word firstborn means primacy. He's the chief. He's over everything. Everything sits under his power and his dominion. Not only is he primacy, he's, he, he's chief, but he's also like the Father. He's like the Father in that way. And the Son is like the Father, and the Spirit is like the Son and the Father. This is what he means when he uses the phrase firstborn. A spitting image of, the resemblance of, the perfect picture of. Now we're using the language of the Trinity now. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And what you see in the Trinity is that there has been eternal love. Eternal love for one another. This is important. You'll see this in a second. The Spirit is also like the Son and the Father. And from eternity past, there's been love. A couple of texts I dug up. Uh, Matthew, you can write these down if you want to look them up later. Matthew, Matthew 17, 5. This is the transfiguration. He was still speaking. And behold, a bright cloud overshadowed his, him. This is Jesus. And the cloud said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. John's Gospel, Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And later in the Gospel, he says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. See, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father and the Son love the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. What we're talking about here is eternal love from time past. This is a blow-your-mind moment, if you hold on to it for a second. Hang with me in the deep theology, in the waters here. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, a great thinker beyond me, he puts it this way. He says, he says uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are each giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Do you know what he's saying there? From eternity past, the three members of the Trinity were loving each other and serving each other. So what you find is in that situation where you're loving and serving, there's an infinite happiness, an infinite joy. God is infinitely and profoundly happy. Now when I think about love, let me put it in human terms. When I think about love, I think about the person that I love the most in this world, which is my uh, wife, Catherine. And I had the, I had the privilege of, of dating Catherine. We met in the city of Chicago. And I had the privilege of dating Catherine in the city of Chicago, long walks together. You know, we go together. All the stuff that poor college students do, you know, you get a, you know, a, 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 buy a, a regular coffee, not a latte because it's too much. And then you take walks because that's what you should do because you don't have money to sit down at a restaurant. We would have this time just, and I'll tell you what, it, it, millions and millions of people live in the city of Chicago. But for me at that time, there was only one person. And, and, and she had brown hair. She still does. And brown eyes. And I loved her to death. And, and, I mean, the, the city could have been filled with millions of chickens. I wouldn't have noticed. Because it was just me and her. And me and her. Me and her going to the coffee shop. Me and her taking walks. Me and her talking. Me and her going to the library together. Me and her and me and her and me and her. And then we graduated. And then me and her got married. And then me and her carried along for a couple of years. And then me and her became me and her and her. And then me and her... And her became me and her and her and her. And then a hymn came along as well. So pretty soon this world that was love for one another now brought in three others to love. When you understand that, this picture of what family is to be looking like, and my family's not perfect, but what family is to look like on earth, you understand what God is doing in eternity. The three members of the Trinity infinitely, profoundly happy, filling each other with love for one another, now creating to bring into that love. That's why God created the world and us in it, to see us be welcomed into this love. You understand this, loved ones, that, that he didn't create the world to get love. He was already infinitely loved. God didn't create the world to get worship. He was already infinitely worshipped. God didn't create the world this way. He, he knew already perfectly he was being loved and worshipped. 
He didn't make the world because he needed you. Listen, listen. He didn't make the world. He didn't make you because he needed you. He made you because he wanted you. God was not deficient and said, I need to fill in my gaps. God was complete and said, now, who can I share? And you and I get made. Because he infinitely wanted to love you. Because he wants to bring you into this fellowship of himself. Infinitely, profoundly happy God now sends the son into the world, the text tells us. He sent his only son into the world. But the world, the world is not a great place. What's the earth like when the time of Jesus comes? What's the world like for Jesus? Well, I'll tell you, it's the worst place possible. Under the dominion of fallen men who have rejected God, the world is absolutely the worst place possible. I've got a son. Would I send my son to the worst place possible? Why would I do this? Why would God do this? Uh, It's the place where he'll be despised. He'll be rejected. He'll be mocked. He'll be ridiculed. Few, if any, will recognize his glory. He'll walk around hungry. He'll walk around and get whipped. He'll get struck. He'll have his beard pulled. They will declare him to be in league with Satan. It's the world that he has made. He himself has made, but it looks nothing like what he made. It's the worst possible place to go. And God sends his son there. Why? Why give a son that has loved you so much and you love so much? Why give that son into a world where you know he will be killed? You know he will be beaten and mocked and scorned. Why do this? Verse 9 tells us. So that we might live through him. Love is a personal, willful sacrifice of self for the good of another. He came for you. Jesus came for me so that we might live. Christ Jesus, with his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, brings to us the life that we have lost. Real life, true life, not stolen by Satan, but fixed for eternity with him, with him, with him. And his coming brings to us life. That's what self-giving love looks like. The Father and the Son have this communion before eternity and set before even the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 tells us, this plan to rescue and redeem. And they look upon the loved one, the children that are lost and far from him, and the sin that must be punished. And the Son says, I will go. Because I love them. And the father says. I will let you go. Because I love you. And I love them. This is what we get welcomed into. It's a personal. Willful sacrifice of self. For the good. Of another. That's self giving love. That God would give to us. The greatest gift of all. God. That God would give to us. Himself. But notice in verse 10, love is also unconditional, unconditionally. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we have loved God, and no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We didn't love him. We've rebelled against him. We were his enemies. Even today, even today, there are still sins in my life. Even this morning, still in my life. Not that we have loved God but that he loved us just like you are with your kids. He loves us no matter our response, just like you are with the son and the daughter. 
I'm done. I'm done, Dad. I'm done with you. I'm done with your rules. I'm done with your regulate. I'm done with you. I, I can't listen anymore. I'm out. And in the heart of the Father, there are the, fra- there are the words, but I can't stop loving you. I can't stop loving you. I'm done, Mom. I can't listen to you anymore. I'm sick of you. and I'm, I'm gone. I'm going. I don't want to talk to you anymore. But I can't stop loving you. I can't stop loving you. It's not like I can turn the switch off. Good or bad, I still love you. This is God's heart towards us. Just like you are with your kids, you love them unconditionally. And just like parenting, you love them even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation is a big Bible word. comes up a couple times in the New Testament. What it means is to deal with the wrath of God. To deal, to take, to fully swallow the wrath of God. To stand there on the edge of the burning forest and to swallow the flames. The Son of God willingly endures the punishment that you and I deserve. See the love of God. To see the love of God and endure the wrath for us. God loves us so much, he willingly sends his son for us. And we often view the phrase propitiation from how much the son endured. And he endured much. The wrath of God, the father against the sins, a righteous and a holy wrath that Jesus endures fully upon the cross for those hours that he hangs upon the cross until he says the phrase, it is finished. Jesus is drinking of the divine cup of wrath against sin. But we we view that only from Jesus' pain. But what about the father's pain? What about the father's heartache of this one that he's loved so deeply? Even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. The fullest meaning of a love on display by, by God. God's the one who gives the source. God's the one who also sets the definition and he lives it to the fullest. If anyone knows how to love, it's God. Now, full definition here for you. Love, love is this. All together now, love is a personal, it's an unconditional self-sacrifice for the good of another, regardless of personal cost. Let me say that again. Love is a personal, unconditional self-sacrifice for the good of another, regardless of personal cost. Love is not emotions. Love is not a sports team. Love is not the food I eat. Love is not the car I drive. Love is not the job I'm good at or the movie that I enjoyed. Love looks like this. A personal, me for you. An unconditional, regardless of how you receive me. Self-giving sacrifice. I'm giving my life to you for your good. Regardless of what it costs me. God sets the definition. And this brings us to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love God, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Well, when it comes to loving one another, as God's word commands us today, we need to get the right source. We need to go to where love is found. But then we also need to get the right definition for what love is. And now I want to show you this finally. We need to get the right proof. Get the right proof. 
If I'm going to begin to love the beloved, I need to get this definition applied to my life. I see what he's telling us in verse 11 is God's not calling me to a chocolate cake kind of love. God's not calling me to a sports team kind of love. Uh, he's, He's not calling me to those things. He's calling me to love as he has loved. He's calling me to not just like you, he's calling me to love you. To personally, unconditionally sacrifice for your good regardless of what it costs me. That's the kind of love, the bar that God sets for us. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Personally, unconditionally, sacrificing for my good regardless of personal cost. Now listen, if the world gets what, where the source of love is to be found wrong, and they do, and, and, and the definition of what love looks like wrong, and it does, then it certainly gets the proof of what love looks like wrong also. The world will tell you, outside these walls, away from God's word, that what love looks like is getting things for people. Now, that's how I feel loved. Oh, love, thank you. It's the note. That's love. Love is intimacy in a relationship. That's what love is. Love is thinking happy thoughts about you. That's love. How do I know I love you? Oh, because I wrote you that note. How do I know you love me? Well, because you sent me that that gift. How do you know you love me? Well, because I sit here and think happy thoughts about you. Do you see how deficient these are? That's not what God's word is calling us to. It's a radical kind of love. A difficult kind of love. These proofs of love the world gives us are so miserably short and by themselves. When God's word calls us to is this personal, unconditional, self-giving sacrifice for the good of another regardless of personal costs. But listen, listen, listen. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? You're going to walk out of here today? You're going to say, okay. Heard the guy from Oakville. Wasn't Daryl. I'm a little disappointed, but it's okay. (laughs) Heard the guy from Oakville. The guy from Oakville came and he said, got to love one another. Okay. So church message, got to love. Even that guy that's hard at church, got to love that person. Got to do it personally. Got to do it unconditionally. I think it was something about sacrificing there and whatever. I don't Like, I got to do that. That's how I got to love. You walk out these doors and say, okay, I got to do better. I got to try harder. You'll make it to the car. And that'll be it. There's a key to unlocking this in your heart. This, loved ones, is not a to-do list definition. It's a response definition. When I get something in my heart that unlocks it, and I see and savor what love, I will just do this. So it's not like a, oh, i got to make sure. No, it's it's a, this is what my life looks like. How did that happen? There's a key that unlocks this. There's an amazing key. The truth for you, if you want to love one another, is you can't do it on your own. You can't. Do it by yourself. You go out and try in your power, you won't be able to do it unless you see the love of God in your life. That's the truth. Now, let me put it this way. Um, I have a couple diagrams. I didn't draw them, but let me pull the first one up. Uh, This is what the world views love like mostly. Uh, What I'm calling a reciprocating love, okay? So reciprocating love, let's say it's me on the left with the hairline, and uh, over there is my wife. And uh, what this looks like is, now, I'm going to love my wife the way that I think she needs. I'm going to write her that note. I'm going to remember her birthday. I'm going to get her something for Mother's Day. 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make, you know, help out around the house. I'm going to take the kids, give her a date night. Look at that. I'm loving her. I'm doing what I need to do. Just pouring out love, pouring out love, pouring out love. And now look at this. I'm filling up her tank. And now she starts to fill up my tank. Here come the Home Depot gift cards. And and, and here come, I give to get back. That's how love is viewed in the world. I love you, you love me back. I love you, you love me back. I love you, you love me back. And that's how a great marriage will work. I love you, you love me back. I love you, you love me back. I love you, you love me back. Maybe it's not a marriage. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a child. I love you, you love me back. I love you, you love me back. This is so great. We're working together. That's reciprocating love. That's what the world believes. And it's completely wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, let me show you the next diagram. What happens when this happens? The problem with reciprocating love. What happens when this happens? I love you. I'm loving you. I'm pouring into you. I'm caring for you. I'm loving you. I'm loving you. I'm loving you. And nothing. A trickle. Not even the recognition of what I'm doing. I'm loving you. You're doing nothing. You know what this is called? Motherhood. So, a lot of our marriages too, isn't it? I'm loving you. Not getting. I'm not getting. Maybe you, you, you gave me, but that's not how I want to be loved. I want this. You gave me that. The problem with reciprocating love, right there. What happens if she's sick? What happens if she's going through a dark season? What happens if she's discouraged? I love you. I'm getting. You know what's going to happen? I pull back. I pull back. She pulls back, or he pulls back. I pull back. You pull back. I pull back. You pull back. I pull back. You pull back. And pretty soon, there's no arrows between you. And pretty soon, you're saying what the world says over and over and over again outside these doors. That's it. It's been a good run. It's been a few years. That was fun while it lasted. And then you hear marriage vows, insane marriage vows of of the sort of, I promise to love you as long as I would love you. We'll be together as long as I would love you. That's ridiculous. That's the world. That's the problem with reciprocating love. And that is everything against what 1 John speaks of. This is not why we are to love. Here's how we're to love. Last diagram. This is how I'm supposed to love. I love you. 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 100% expecting nothing in return. As Christ has loved me, I love you freely, willingly, giving it to you. And why do I love you? Because I'm so filled with love. I have seen the gospel. I've loved the Lord Jesus Christ. My heart is so filled up with a God who loves me so much that I'm able to turn around and love someone who's completely unlovable at times. I'm able to serve someone who doesn't even like me. I'm able to pour out myself again and again and again because I don't care what I get from you because I'm getting everything I need from God. The God who tells me that he loves me. The God who tells me that he will never leave me and never forsake me. The God who tells me that this is a slight and momentary affliction preparing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The God who tells me that there will be a day someday soon in a blink of an eye, I will call you to my presence and then I will walk up to your face and hold your face and wipe the tears from your eyes. And then even though now in a mirror dimly, then you will see me face to face and you will feel the love and you stand there and you know that love and your heart soaks in that love and you can turn around 
and love somebody that won't love you back, that doesn't want to love you, that doesn't care about you, that can't love you back. This is the transformative power. When the gospel comes into your heart, you turn around and care. You know what this looks like? Uh, I use this illustration no matter where I am. It's, it's Niagara Falls and you in a Dixie cup. Underneath Niagara Falls with a Dixie cup. That's what you're drinking out of. That's the love that you get from God over and over. Always full, always overflowing, always overflowing. And then your son comes up to you or your daughter comes up to you or your husband comes up to you or your wife comes up to you and says, Can I have just a little drink? Can I have just a little bit of love? You know what you say to them? I got tons. Here you go. Splash. You want more? Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. You want more? Here you go. Here you go. I got tons. What do you need from me? I'll give it to you. What do you need from me? I'll love you. Pastor, can you help me? I got it. I'm so, I don't need anything from you because I'm filled with love by an awesome and omnipotent God. And then I'm able to say, God, what are you calling me to sacrifice? I'll do it with joy. What, what are you calling me to endure in this love for someone else? I'll do it with, with, with delight. What are you calling me to step into personally? I'll give it up. What are you calling me to give myself to? I'll give it up, Lord. When I see what God has done for me, and my heart is gripped with those truths of how much he loves me, then I will love as God calls me to love. Then I will love you. Then I will love one another. How do you love that difficult boss, that difficult spouse, that difficult neighbor, that difficult pastor, that difficult kid, that different, difficult small group member. How do you love them? Only when you see the love of God upon your life can you love someone in the way that God wants you to. John closes with these words in verse 12. No one has seen God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, he says, but wondrously, wondrously, if you are loving people, well, then his glory is shown to them. In fact, one of the main ways that God wants to show love to you is through the love of his people. Let me say that again. One of the main ways that God wants to love you is through the love of other believers. So maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in that reciprocating love thing. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm not getting back. Or maybe you're like, I'm receiving, I'm receiving, I'm receiving, I'm not giving. The, the, the thing that breaks it is my heart gripped with the love of God as God has loved me. The gospel in my heart. Maybe, maybe you're there and you're like, you know, I'm not really seeing any evidence of love in my life. I've seen a lot of people love me. I'm not loving anybody. It's a lot about me. Love is absent from my life. Well, the answer for you is the same. Look at the love of Christ upon you. All of us, all of us, no matter where we are, need this truth. We need the truth of the gospel. The love of God upon us. And only when you see that love of God does fruit begin to grow in your life. Legalism is turned away and love controls you. And when you love like he loves, personally, Unconditionally, sacrificing for my good regardless of personal cost and, and pointing to Jesus all the way, you prove that you belong to him. And people start saying things like, hey, I see the resemblance. You don't have the same eye color, but boy, you love like your father loves. Eric Raymond, he's a pastor. He puts it this way. The world says love for the purpose of self, but the gospel says love at the expense of self. 
The world says, what can I gain from you? But the gospel says, what can I give to you? The world says, pursue love for the fulfillment of self, and then is left empty. Christians pursue love at the expense of self and are made full. Now listen, I don't stand before you as somebody who's got this all figured out. I've got a ton of room to grow in this. Like you, it's a lot about me and my life. Like you, I have so many days where the most important person in my life is me. And I know that that shouldn't be the case. I know that's not what God's word calls me to, but that's where I am sometimes. I'm like you. So we need this. We need the Lord to do this in our lives. More love for him, more love for his people, more glory to God. So Lord, would you please do this? Let me pray for us. Lord, it's pretty, pretty plain. In fact, it's in black and white. You're calling us to do something that in and of ourselves we're not capable of. You're calling us to love people like ourselves. Love people who struggle in sin. Love people who are broken. Love people who will fail us. Love people who, like we have done with you so many times, will reject us. Truly, Lord, truly, Lord, we need a supernatural love. I pray, God, that as you grip us with the truths of the gospel and of the greatness of the love of God upon us, that, God, that would change us, literally change the way we think and the way we love others, that, God, you would get glory from us as we reach out in love. And, Lord, I would pray uh, specifically today for that uh, uh, person who is in a difficult place. And they know exactly when I'm saying love that difficult person, who that difficult person is. They can put a name to that. They can put a relationship to that. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a coworker or a friend. Oh God, I pray that you would give us the grace. Please, Lord, give us the grace. Open our hearts to see and to love and to savor the love of God upon us. And then, God, would you equip us with that love to turn around and to care for and to love. We can't do it, Lord. We can't do it in our strength. We need you and your help. So God, would your spirit prepare room in our hearts for that? Would he be moving? Would he be working? Would he be convicting and convincing us of this great love for us? And Lord, would you use us? Would you use us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.